This sermon was recorded at Church of the Ascension, an Anglican parish in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, whose mission is to be a worshipping community that equips God's people and shares Christ's healing with a broken world. For more information, please visit ascensionpittsburgh.org. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word to us this morning, and I pray that you would speak to us afresh by the power of your Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Not long after I moved to Pittsburgh, I met the pastor of a church uh, in Ohio who used to have a rather unusual ministry. He made it his practice to keep in his car a bucket, some rubber gloves, a brush, and some toilet bowl cleaner. He used to travel quite a bit, and what he would do is this. Each time he stopped to get gas, he would ask whoever was working at the cash register if he could clean their toilet for them. Um, When asked to explain why, he would tell them that he was a Christian and he simply wanted to show God's love for people in a very practical way. Well, as you can imagine, he got some pretty strange looks, but rarely did anyone turn him down. Well, on one occasion, he stopped at a truck stop on his way to a meeting. And he didn't have a lot of time, but he thought he should make his usual offer. Well, the owner of the truck stop was manning the till And this man was a Muslim from either India or Pakistan. And when the pastor explained who he was and he wanted to demonstrate God's love by cleaning some toilets, um, would that be okay? The owner said, that would be fine, but only if you clean all the toilets. And so this pastor says, well, how many toilets do you have? Twenty, he replied. Uh, The pastor said, well, he didn't have time to clean 20 toilets, but he could do two. And uh, the guy said, no, it's 20 or none. So the pastor looked at his watch, and he, was, he, he didn't know what to do, and he, th- he thought, well, well, how about I do five? The guy just shook his head. So taking a deep breath, the pastor finally said, okay, I'll do the lot. Where do I start? Right over here, the owner said. Oh, and by the way, there are only two. But I just wanted to see what kind of Christian you were. What a challenging question. What kind of Christian are you? Well, today I want to take that question and apply it not to our willingness to clean toilets, but to something that may be even more difficult. I want to apply it to our attitude towards money. How we think about money, how we earn it, spend it, save it, give it away, all these things tell us a great deal about our relationship to God and what sort of Christians we really are. Money has the great potential to deepen or even destroy a person's relationship with God. And perhaps that is why, as we were reminded earlier, that Jesus spoke so much about money. The only thing he spoke about more in the Gospels is actually the kingdom of God. I think when we are more obviously needy, it can be easier to depend on God. But health, wealth, and prosperity have a habit of robbing us of our right dependence on God. I think one of the spiritual problems we face living in America is that most of us are relatively well-off materially. And because of that, we can so easily forget just how blessed by God that we are. Now, of course, this is not 
a uniquely modern or American problem. It's a problem that wealthy people have always had. Indeed, that's precisely what we encounter in our Old Testament reading this morning from Deuteronomy. And in verse 11 of that passage from chapter 8, we read these words, Take care that you do not forget the Lord your God. God's purpose for his people was that they should welcome his blessings and recognize his goodness. But they did the former, they welcomed the blessings, without bothering with the latter, without recognizing his goodness. And so instead of remembering they forgot, widespread prosperity led to widespread ingratitude. God wanted them to do three things. Verse 10, enjoy his benefits. You shall eat your fill. Worship God. Bless the Lord. Give thanks for all the good land he's given you. But instead, they forgot God. They disobeyed his commands, and they became self-satisfied, self-sufficient, and proud. This passage from Deuteronomy contains a warning. Take care that you do not forget the Lord your God by failing to keep his commandments, his ordinances, his statutes. When you have eaten your fill and have built fine houses and live in them, and when your herds and flocks have multiplied, and your silver and gold is multiplied, and all that you have is multiplied, then do not exalt yourself, forgetting the Lord your God. Don't say to yourself, my power and the might of my own hand have gotten me this wealth. But remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth, so that he may confirm his covenant that he swore to your ancestors as he's doing today. Now, I don't think that that way of operating, that way of thinking, comes naturally to most of us. On the contrary, if we think about whatever prosperity we might enjoy, the natural response probably is to be mindful of how hard we've studied, how hard we've worked, how hard we've trained, all those things. But really, that which we are accustomed to calling our own, if we are followers of Jesus Christ, is not our own. It is God's. And what we do is get to hold it for a time, use it, add to it, and then pass it on. God is the owner. We are the trustees. You know, when we say Jesus is Lord, Lord means boss. Lord means number one. And so we declare that he is Lord. And when we do that, then it changes everything about ourselves and the stuff that we have. And so what we've done, what we've achieved, we've done so because of the countless gifts we've received, a life to live, a brain with which to think, a natural talent to use, others who've invested in our lives in all kinds of ways. And these things we have not earned. The very raw materials of the earth with which to create. I love the children's answers this morning about where money comes from. They were so literal. Well, it comes from paper, which comes from trees. Well, absolutely, which God made. And the countless opportunities that we've had to grow and learn and mature and develop, these things are not earned. They're given. Now, of course, I know people differ vastly in what they make of what they've been given, of all the gifts and opportunities. Some squander them. Some 
invest wisely. Some work hard, others are lazy. We know that. But let us not fall into the temptation of thinking that we deserve by right all the material blessings and wealth that so many of us enjoy. Rather, let us hear afresh what God says. Remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth. The psalmist understood this uh, from our psalm this morning. How shall I repay you for all the good things he's done for me? I will offer you a sacrifice of thanksgiving and call upon the name of the Lord. I will fulfill my vows in the presence of all the people. Because our giving is such an intensely spiritual and practical matter, and which done rightly puts people in closer touch with God and with his blessings, no one should be somehow prevented or excluded from being a part of it whether they're young or old, whether they're rich or poor. But what does faithfulness in our giving look like for us today? Yes, we are trustees of that which has come from God, but we do still need to buy groceries and pay for homes and transport and education and health and many other necessities of life. And there are many people, maybe some here, who struggle to pay those bills. So where does that leave us? Well, I want to answer that in two ways. First, by speaking about what motivates us to give, and second, by addressing how much God calls us to give. First, then, our motives for giving. The psalmist writes, I will offer you the sacrifice of thanksgiving. And Paul, in one of his letters to the church at Corinth, writes, each of you must give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. The best motives for giving are thankfulness and joy and in response to the one who gave us everything. We give with gratitude and joy. In fact, over the last several weeks, I've really come to a place where I've started to think that if someone is expressing to me that they are actually feeling reluctant or or, um, under some sort of compulsion to give, then I think next time that happens, I'm just going to say, you know, well, don't don't give. It's okay. I, I think it's better that you not give than to give reluctantly or under compulsion. Because that's what the Bible teaches. Okay, so how much? How much should we give? The, the biblical norm, the, the biblical standard that we find, is the tithe, 10% um, of all our income. And, and I spell that out, what the tithe is, because I think for some, the word tithe has really morphed into church speak um, for a kind of generic verb to give. So you make a donation somewhere, you give this or you give that or your time or some stuff or you go to Goodwill or whatever it is and well that's my tithe. Well, the thing is tithe doesn't mean that. It doesn't mean gift. It means 10%. That's what tithe means. And so today as I do unashamedly each year I'm asking you to lay out your finances before God who by the way, he, he does already know them. And I'm asking that you pray about what God would have you give generously, proportionately, cheerfully to God's work through this church. 
And I know that many of you are doing that in this season. Many of you have done this very intentionally, particularly as you've been engaging with our More Than Stones campaign. And it's been humbling and encouraging to see so many respond. You know, so far, 90 people have now made signed pledges to that effort with more than $3.3 million pledged. Thanks be to God. And we've obviously got a ways to go and many more people to visit. But that, of course, is over and above our regular giving. And the letter that I sent out this week with the enclosed pledge card that I, I hope you've received, and I think there are pledge, other pledge cards in the pews? There are. So if you didn't get one, there's a card there. Um, that's not about the More Than Stones campaign. Rather, that's about our regular giving. And so the challenge today, and this is without regard to the, the size of your income, is simply this. Will you trust God? with that which he has entrusted to you. So whether your income is 2,500 or 25,000 or 250,000, will you trust God? Will you tithe? On the um, back, no, it's on the inside of that pledge card, you'll see there's a, there's a table um, that actually kind of lays out what a percentage uh, gift from your income would look like. And so we've done that just as a kind of point of reference, hopefully to help People. So if your annual income is, say, 40,000, you can put your finger along the line, you can see what 2%, 5%, 12%, 10%, what it looks like. Where are you on this? I had someone come and talk to me after the last service, and, and they want to come and see me to talk more, but they were, they were very concerned. that they, they said, how can I make a start? I haven't done this, but I want to start. And I thought, what a great question. Let's make a start if we're, if we're not doing this. And some here today, of course, do give joyfully and generously and proportionately back to God. Others are struggling with this. And for some, it may never have occurred to do this. And, and I talk about these things from the scriptures, not to try and put some guilt trip on anybody, really, absolutely not, but rather as a way of inviting you to respond very practically to God's call to give. So will you answer that call? Will you give and tithe with thankfulness and with gratitude? Will you be a good steward of that which God has entrusted to you? And when our Lord comes again, and each one will give an accounting of their lives, will you be found faithful, even in this matter concerning our money? As our passage from Hebrews reminds us this morning, God is faithful to us. Indeed, the only reason we can present ourselves confidently before God is because of his faithfulness, his grace, his love, and his mercy. Listen again to those verses from Hebrews chapter 10. Let us approach with a true heart in full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who has promised is faithful. And let us consider how to provoke one another to love and good deeds. Our confidence in this world should never be placed in our bank balances. How foolish that would be. Our confidence in God's faithfulness should never be based on our own goodness or generosity, but always and only on his goodness and his generosity and on the very blood of Jesus that makes us clean. 
I love the challenge at the end of that passage to provoke one another to love and good deeds. So if you're feeling provoked by me this morning, good. I'm trying to provoke you. I'm trying to provoke you in the words from Hebrews to love and to good deeds. I want to provoke you to greater generosity as a response to God's generosity. One way that demonstrates our faithfulness is seen by the kind of trustees or stewards that we are of all that we may think of as being ours, but which really is God's. Your checkbook, your credit card statement, or your personal budget will demonstrate not only whether you tithe, but even more importantly, how you use everything that God's entrusted with you. Good stewards are charged with managing 100% of God's resources. In many ways, the, the 10% is the easy bit. Christian stewardship is about what we do with all that we have, all of the time, after we say that Jesus is Lord. Now, you may have heard uh, about something that we call sacrificial giving. Actually, we've been using that language in our Morden Stones capital campaign. But what does it mean? Well, let me just take a little side step here to say something about sacrificial giving. In the Old Testament, God's people made sacrifices as a way of worshiping God. And so the very, for example, the very best lamb would be taken from their flock and offered to God. That lamb became a representative for the people. And in the sacrifice of one lamb, the sins of all the people uh, were placed on the lamb and, and taken away. And so by the gift of one, all the rest were made holy and forgiven. Now that whole system of sacrifice was a forerunner of the one perfect sacrifice that God himself made in Jesus through the death of Jesus on the cross. But the very essence of a sacrifice is in giving the very best to God so that what is left can be made holy. And the, the principle can be seen in all kinds of ways. It's as if God were to say, I want to make holy and special all of your time and, and uh, for you wherever you are and whatever you're doing. So what I want from you is a sacrifice, a portion of your time given exclusively to me. And God did in fact say, remember the Sabbath day and to keep it holy. And so, and that's actually a great gift that God gives us in that command. But by dedicating one day of the week to him, so we find that he blesses all the rest. Or on a smaller scale, if you have a daily discipline of prayer, you'll understand what I'm saying. When you give to God the first part of each day in just taking time to be still before God, to pray, to listen, to read the Bible, then very often... I think you'll experience that the rest of the day somehow goes differently. And of course, the principle applies to money. Give to God the best portion, the top slice, the first amount before other spending, so that the rest can also be hallowed and blessed and used to his glory. You know, I, I have, um, I'm a bit obsessive about this. I, I have this uh, Excel spreadsheet. And you, you can ask my wife, Andrea, if you think I'm making this up. I'm not. It's color-coded, has all the things on it, and I, just for the family budget, okay? And so, but on the left-hand column where I list all, all of our expenses, um, the very first line is 
our tithe, and then under it is our other kind of giving. And, and, and it's put first as a reminder, every time I go to that spreadsheet, that belongs first to God. And uh, if you'd like any instruction on how to create your very own personal spreadsheet, see me afterwards. Actually, I said this at 9 o'clock and as a complete throwaway, and somebody came up to me after and said, I know you're only joking, but please, could you help me? I really need a family budget. So it's a real offer. <laughs> This principle of sacrificial giving truly does extend to every part of our lives. And, and the spiritual discipline of giving is not unlike other spiritual disciplines in this regard. It takes practice. So if your prayer life is moribund and you've kind of stopped praying, pray. If your relationships are strained, Love. If you're not being faithful with money, give. This is not rocket science. It's very practical. It's very challenging. And it's very rewarding. In our gospel reading, Jesus said, Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. For many years, I read this in a kind of dyslexic fashion. I flipped it in my mind. I thought that what Jesus said was where your heart is, there your treasure will be. And I think that's probably true for many people. Their heart is on fire for God and they want to dedicate their lives to him. So, of course, they give generously in response to that. And that makes sense. Except that's not what Jesus said, at least not here. He says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be. And I think... I wonder whether the reason he did that was that he knew so well that where we put our money, then our interest, our concern, our focus will actually follow that. So there is a sense in which your very giving can become a channel through which your enthusiasm and commitment to Jesus Christ grows and deepens and becomes more and more real. It actually makes sense. If you invest in God's work then with money, then yeah, you want to know how it's going. I think it's often the case, honestly, that we're more likely to act our way into a new way of thinking than we are to think our way into a new way of acting. As you give the best of your time and money back to God, I am convinced that you will see your faith grow and you'll experience the blessings that flow from laying up treasure in heaven. God has blessed us so abundantly. And I pray that you will experience God blessing you again and again as prayerfully you consider how you will respond to God's call in this particular area of the stewardship of our lives, including our finances. And so finally, uh, I want to just take that question we began with. What kind of Christian are you? How will you respond? Amen.